Hello and welcome to episode 42, which is surely the episode that will give you all the answers you've ever needed, of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined today by Mr. Moises Chuyan. Hi Moises. Hi Mike. Moises, who are you? What do you like to be known for? Uh... God, what a loaded question. Um, I, uh, I podcast a, a few shows here on 5x5. Five five. Uh, I write about movies and media and content and so on online at arthousecowboy.com. Uh, a, um, a new configuration of a column that I started writing back when I was at college. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure at this point. And uh, I guess that... that uh, that's going to end up being an overriding theme of a lot of the stuff you'd plan to ask. So you are also a podcaster extraordinaire on 5x5, of course. Uh, a few shows, uh, screen time, movies, games, TV, media of all sorts, and uh, and how, how that stuff is changing and interviewing people and so on and so forth. Um, giant size where I interview comic creators, people on the business side of things, in addition to just writers and artists. Uh, and then, uh, the comic shack where we do uh, a panel discussion show about different characters, storylines, so on and so forth from, uh, comic books. You've been on two of these. You, you were on an episode of screen time that turned into an episode of comic shack. Yep. Um, fun. and then <clears throat> I am, uh, I'm, uh, chart boy junior on, uh, on the critical path, uh, <laughs> alongside Horace. Uh, and that's that's a nickname that uh, I think Merlin came up with, not me. That's just what he's called now. So I'm just uh, accepting it and owning it. Uh, and uh, and yeah, each week I uh, I try to keep up with the uh, the dynamic range of topics that uh, that Horace can jump from one to another uh, at the at the drop of a hat. Uh, it's a it's a thrilling and interesting uh, process to be a part of. So you worked at Apple, right? I did. What did you do at Apple? Can you say? Well, that's the thing is the the way that the NDA was put together was it was it was almost like you can't even really talk about it after you leave. But in general terms, um, the Apple offices in Austin are mostly administrative in nature that aren't Apple Care in nature. And um, what I what I had stuff to do with was the online store. Uh, and um, they have a call center here, and they have staff here that also um, continue to grow and evolve and change the way that the online store works, both from the customer-facing perspective and the back-end side of things. Um, I was uh, I was part of the very small team that helped launch the online store for Mexico. Uh, I worked on a number of other special project things like that. Uh, I'll never get credit for it, but the the hundred dollar iPhone store credit from the original iPhone launch was my idea, and some manager of mine got credit for it and got a promotion. I'm sure, wow. uh, <clears throat> of some sort. Um, but it was uh, it was an interesting three years of my life that felt like ten. Yeah, I bet I bet that put some age on you working for a company like Apple. I mean, I work for a um, a large corporation. Um, in finance as a day job, but I imagine a company like Apple with you know the way that they they conduct their their business in that you are not allowed to talk about what you did um, shows that I can imagine that it is quite a stressful environment to to be a part of. 
Yeah, they're they're constantly ramping up um, expectations of everything. Uh, when you know, when when I I'm, I I used the opportunity of getting that job as a, a means to move to Austin, a reason to move to Austin, where my wife and I have been wanting to escape to from Tallahassee, Florida, for some time. Uh, Florida is the opposite of the capital of the United States, uh, which is what Texas is as a whole. Um, and uh, and we were we were eager for a place where there were good places to go and eat, good fun things to go and do, and just generally a place where the job market was more uh, more open and interested in actually hiring young people rather than uh, waiting for people to just uh, rot off and die, uh, which was kind of the way that things were in small college town Tallahassee. Um, but <clears throat> working working for Apple. Um, I took a pay cut compared to you know what I what I technically speaking would theoretically be worth. It was a time of great opportunity to get involved with the company just in advance of the iPhone launch. Uh, I the, not a day goes by that I don't kick myself for uh, investing in the employee stock purchase program while I was there uh, oh. because at multiple points when I was there it hovered around a hundred bucks, but I didn't have the money to. I didn't have the money to because. Uh, I wasn't hired into a department or a job that covered moving expenses and and that sort of thing, so we were pinching pennies. Uh, but it was it was extremely informative. Uh, Apple experiences, unlike just about any other corporate experience uh, I've had, and as much as the public image of the company is very you know liberal arts and you know liberal hippy tippy centric, uh, which puts it in my comfort zone. Um, the part of the company that I was in is very focused on revenue and performance and unforgiving expectations. And there were a lot of changes that went on while I was there that were reflective of a company that at first I thought didn't know how to scale, but I think it ended up being that they choose when to scale when they absolutely have to. Um, and there, there, there are a lot of, of, uh, older before their time people at that company um, that uh, that I think is a result of the extraordinarily high pressure environment which honestly could be a bit lower stress and and granted I was there during the jobs era and I think things have changed a bit under Tim Cook um, where there's a bit more focus on the human toll of innovation um, but it was it was grueling I mean that's that's really the simplest way to put it but it was rewarding at the same time in equal measure. That's good to hear. And then you moved to the Alamo Draft House, right? Yep. I uh, I jumped from uh, a position where I felt like I didn't have any upward mobility uh, to a uh, director-level position at the Alamo Draft House as their director of brand development, uh, sort of pseudo-de facto director of marketing in some respects, because they didn't really have anyone running marketing at the time, uh, I think I think they have a, a, a board level marketing position now. Um, most of what I was concerned with was drawing in cash sponsorships, in kind sponsorships, and uh, and and uh, mutual mutually beneficial brand relationships for all of their various different programs, their uh, annual genre film festival, Fantastic Fest. Um, everything is as small and niche as their air sex world championships, which are, uh, air guitar, but different. 
um, and uh, you know, finding finding ways to make things not just pay for themselves, but be uh, be profitable, be in the black. And uh, and I caught that company also at a uh, a time of rapid expansion as well. They uh, the company had remerged at a certain point. There was a schism. Uh, between the original founders and the corporate franchise organization, everything had come back together, <clears throat> and um, they they were starting to take on new franchise partners. They had just started a new film distribution label. They had just started a new website called Badass Digest, which I contributed to a few times, uh, occasionally here and there, usually talking about Criterion Collection DVDs and uh, probably the most notable thing that I wrote there in the site's early days was the first review on the internet of the expansive Scott Pilgrim versus the World Blu-ray, which has hours and hours and hours of extras on it. Um, and it's uh, it's the reason that that occasionally, uh, if I'm really polite, Edgar Wright returns my DMs on Twitter. One of my favorite movies of all time, my sis. As we've discussed, and at some point we'll uh, we'll discuss the comic on the Comic Shack. Oh, can we do that? Can we oh yeah, do, can, can oh, we yeah. book that? I want to do the, the <laughs> I want to do the movie and the book. Can we book this? Yeah, yeah. No, I th- it's. Uh, I think that's. I think that's going to go in the spreadsheet uh, at a time to be determined. Uh, you know, Scott Pilgrim versus uh, multimedia experiential devices. You know, like in in your life, you have a few things that change change your mind about things and the world and things like that. Scott Pilgrim did that for me. Very, very important book to me. It taught you how to how to kill your girlfriends' ex-boyfriends and turn them into piles of coins. Best not to dive into it too much. There's, yeah. uh, s- certain law enforcement agencies need to have discussions with me first. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about blogging, Moises. So oh boy, <clears throat> you your site Art House Cowboy. Well, where does that name come from? Um, I. I had been reading a site called Hollywood Elsewhere for some time, uh, written by a guy named Jeffrey Wells. Um, he doesn't like to be termed this, but I don't care. Uh, he, he's, he's one of the kind of old-timer columnist types of the internet. This guy who you know has been writing since the, the 70s, the 80s, um, for decades now, and established a, um, uh, a reputation in print. And as print was starting to crumble... He was one of the first old guard type guys to say, you know what, print, print's dying, and it's going to die sooner than anybody gives it credit for. And so he started blogging for one site, and then Kevin Smith started a site called Movie Poop Shoot, uh, based name. on a movie of his called uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, so Jeff's press credentials for various film festivals were hilarious for a few years. And then Jeff struck out on his own and started his own site, and at a certain point, he put out a call for columnists who wanted to write their own sub-columns on the site that would, uh, you know, he didn't have money to pay people, but it was editorial freedom, you know, with, uh, with, with more guidance than you would get just being somebody with any other blog, sending him an email and saying, hey, what do you think of this piece I wrote? Um, he would... He would occasionally go through and do kind of quality reviews and realize people hadn't written something in weeks or they were writing stuff that looked awful. And um, in addition to having a background in writing, I have a a web development background that 
to call it a web development background is a bit of an exaggeration at this point because I've I've uh, I've not practiced that kung fu in so long that I've lost most of uh, of my of my fighting styles, so to speak. Use it or lose it, my sis. But I remembered uh, CSS and and PHP and uh, and a few other things well enough that I could get into the uh, Aztec temple that is the back end of his site. Uh, you know, a, a, a building stacked on a building stacked on a building with three buildings built on the side uh, haphazardly and uh, and helped clean some stuff up and, you know, add new blogs for new people that joined up and remove blogs that went completely unused by people with endless excuses for why they weren't writing and who could write really long emails about why they weren't writing but couldn't actually write something. And um, in naming my column for the site originally i um i i was i, I was uh, i was thinking of something incorporating the word cowboy um having uh, having grown up in texas um though not owning horses or cowboy boots until meeting my wife um and so i looked to uh movies that that had that word in them and i came on uh there's a drugstore cowboy, um, and I thought, well, why not just call it Movie House Cowboy? And uh, and and I sent that to him, and he was like, it, it, he 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 has this this really old school way of sending terse emails, and he re he he re subject lined it, Jeff DeMoises in all caps, <laughs> and and he says, look, chief, just doesn't sing. Come up with something else. And that was it. That was it. And uh, and so I said, well, maybe maybe I maybe I play with kind of the the dichotomy of of how I, I have one foot in the art house world and one foot in the mainstream world. You know, I like uh, big, loud, explosive mainstream action movies, and I like really awful direct to video Eric Roberts action movies. And at the same time, I like to talk about Ozu and Godard and Kurosawa and. Wes Anderson and Steven Soderbergh's much less known stuff. So I said, what about Art House Cowboy? And he said, that's it. Print it. Do it. Get it up there. And, uh, and so, so, it, uh, so it came into existence. And, and in the early days of that column, I was writing something maybe once or twice a week. Um, and now I'm, I'm trying to do something every day. At the very least, I post... Uh, you know, on my good weeks, and when I'm not deathly ill, um, I post a daily grab that's just a screen grab from some Blu-ray or another. Um, and and one day to the next, they can be radically different based on what I'm either watching or what's going on in the news, whatever strikes my fancy. Um, where last night's was a screen grab from Cloud Atlas, and the day before was one from the the animated Superman Unbound movie that came out on DVD last week. Um. But in the early days, I, I tried to focus on stuff that I didn't see other people writing about. And there were other people my age that were, um, and I, I've said this publicly before, um, the thing that I learned most from Jeff is to really just not give a rat's ass about what everybody else is doing or thinks you should be doing and focus on delivering stuff that an audience, you know, regardless of the size, finds interesting or unique or entertaining. And I didn't see a lot of people writing the kinds of articles, uh, whether it was op-ed stuff or analytical stuff, that I that really lit my brain on fire. 
And that was stuff about how theatrical uh, movies, uh, the the people that were that were still going to see them, was changing with the massive rise of digital piracy. How movies that people were interested in seeing were getting their theatrical runs cut short in lieu of big, huge action spectacles for no good reason other than apparently to just dominate the number of screens that a particular $200 million movie's on. And so I started writing stuff like that and picked up uh, a readership that was that was actually paying attention to what I was doing and interested in what I was doing. It went through a few hiatuses as, you know, when you're in college, you know, you have you have terrible heart-rending breakups that destroy you or you lose a job or you <clears throat> go through so many changes <clears throat> during that phase of life that I, you know, I had protracted amounts of time where where I I just I took a break from it. But I kept coming back to it. And um, one of the last things I did with it while it was at Hollywood Elsewhere was I started doing um, I started doing this chronological retrospective of a Japanese director that most people listening to this, most people alive these days have never heard of, um, named Yasujiro Ozu, who in Japan is regarded as like the great classic Japanese director. He directed movies from the silent era into the talkie era into the color era. And that's like spanning those different eras of filmmaking is rare indeed. And where a lot of Americans uh, or Westerners in general would, would typically think of Akira Kurosawa as the great Japanese director. He is definitely considered one of the very best of the best, but Ozu is 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 held on on a higher pedestal uh nationally you know from the people that still pay attention to old stuff um and i was i was spurred to do this by the criterion collection putting out this dvd set of a couple of his movies that i hadn't seen and i'd been introduced to uh to to his movie good morning which is about these two kids who go on a hunger strike uh, in lieu of uh, of their parents buying them a TV. Their, the parents just won't buy them a TV, so they're like, well, fine, we're not going to eat anything. And I just picked it up as a blind buy. It was cheap. It was one of the earlier DVDs they put out and uh, and saw it early in college, really liked it, and then later picked up this, uh, this special edition set they did of another one of his movies, actually two of his movies, uh, Floating Weeds and the silent movie that that he remade it out of a story of floating weeds, the latter of which has this amazing commentary on it from Roger Ebert, um, who, as we record this, we, we recently lost. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the time he was, he was starting to do this spate of different commentary tracks that are among the best commentary tracks on any movies ever. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to, there's no money in this. Uh, there's, this isn't, this isn't the kind of like hip mainstream thing to do or something, but I'm going to just go find import DVDs and bootlegs and whatever I can of all of this guy's movies and just go through it all chronologically and try to try to put together a, a portrait in my head of who this guy is to me and make it kind of, you know, a personal journey through somebody's filmography. And <clears throat> I found it immensely rewarding. And then around that time, um, I was uh, I was kind of in flux at Apple and trying to figure out what it was I was wanting to do, and so I was I was blogging and tweeting and that kind of thing. Even though uh, 
there are very strict controls over what you're allowed to publish and everything. So I couldn't talk about Apple. I couldn't talk about um, any of the businesses they were involved in, which was uh, the biggest catch-22 in the world because at that point, Apple was in just about every media-based industry in existence. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, rambly, crazy, long story short, um, it's, it's something that's continued to evolve uh, with, you know, with, with what I've been doing and as I've, I've leaned more toward trying to find a way to pay my bills doing creative and rewarding stuff than stuff that involves um, really awful spreadsheets and reports and uh, words like, uh, like marketing activation and collateral and um, engagement. Engagement. Oh God, engagement. Why'd you have to say that? It hurt my hurt my heart just now. Um, I, I was yet, in a meeting it, today, and I think I heard the word engagement about six times in one sentence. Yeah, so that was fun. It's uh, it's been it's been the constant that that has lived alongside all of the stuff that I do, and now it's uh, it's something that I'm glad that I've got because doing the shows that I'm doing, in addition to the show notes that we do for all these shows, um, I do shows that talk about extensive lists of movies and books and comics and all this kind of stuff that I could vomit into a show notes thing, but people aren't necessarily going to consume that or find that as easily digestible as putting it together in, in the form of a, not necessarily reading order, but you know, here's all the stuff that, that I talked about on this show and some annotations that, that, you know, give some some additional context that I may have not gotten to um, in the show itself. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's been a, a a symbiotic piece of of whatever it is that I do. So, in that discussion, um, what you were just saying, you basically have answered all of the questions I had for you in regards to blogging. So thank you. Yep, you're welcome. making my job that little bit easier. That's how you know that my sis is a pro when it comes to podcasting, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, I want. I want to. I'm. I'm trying. I'm trying to pretend like I never saw that list of questions and 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 uh, and and play this by the seat of my pants. That's but, what I like. You know, but I want to take a take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, if that's okay with you, my sis. I know oh, this wow. is a. I know this is a company that you love dearly, and that is Squarespace. So we are sponsored by Squarespace.com today, who give you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace is a fully hosted, completely managed environment that allows you to create and maintain a beautiful website, blog, portfolio, or any type of site that you want to create online. It doesn't matter how experienced you are with building websites. With Squarespace's amazing tools, you can have something online in just minutes. You don't have to worry about hosting, scaling, integrating with other services like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram even. You don't have to worry about design either. Because Squarespace have beautiful themes, they're very clean, let your content do all of the talking, and they all feature responsive web design. So your site will look incredible, no matter what device you are looking at any Squarespace site from, it's going to look great. They have fantastic statistics, they're built right into Squarespace, and they are real-time analytics, and they let you see who's coming to your site, where they're coming from, who's linking to you, and they're even built into the iOS and Android apps, so you can view them on the go, as well as post to your site too. When it comes to building pages in Squarespace, they have a great page building system called Layout Engine. It's a drag and drop system and you add blocks of content. So if you want to add photos, videos, text, you can do that and you can move them around the pages very, very easily. 
If you are a person who would like to sell stuff online, Squarespace Commerce allows you to add a fully integrated store into your site. You can instantly start accepting payments. You can manage your inventory right within Squarespace as well as doing order processing and much, much more. Basically, if you want to sell physical or digital goods, Squarespace has all of the tools that you need as well as their fantastic website building uh, stuff that they've got going on. They have 24-7 customer support if you have if you get stuck in any jams. And they have live online workshops that can help walk you through how to set up an amazing site with them. I want you to go and try this out and find out more. Just go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels. That's 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S. And you can sign up for your trial there. Squarespace plans start at $10 a month for their standard plan and $20 a month for their unlimited plan. If you sign up for a year, you'll get 20% off that price. If you sign up for two, you'll get 25% off. And use the code 70 decibels 5 at 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S and the number 5, and you will get an additional 10% off your order, and they will know that you came to them through this show. So if you enjoy the show, go and support Squarespace. They give you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. I agree. I, that's that's where Art House Cowboy lives. It's where MikeHurley.net lives, and it's what 70decibels.com was built on. I'm going to finally move Art House Cowboy to Squarespace 6 one of these days. I'm just so used to Squarespace 5, and it's such an ingrained part of my workflow. It's difficult to, to conceive moving it. My advice to you, Moises, would be set up a 6 site, even just a trial, yeah. and I know a good URL for that, and play around with it, because that's what I did, and then I was much happier with it, because it is a, it's different, but it is much better than 5. So if I wanted to set up this uh, this trial, where would I go to support the show? Squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels. Really? Yeah. That's simple as that. As simple as that. Simple as that. So Moises, you are a man of 5x5. Five five. How did Indeed. you find your way into podcasting? Were your 5x5 five five shows your first shows, or is, did, is this how you found your feeding, footing? Uh, feeding? The, th- these are my first shows that I hosted. I'd been wanting to do do podcasts for a while, but I, my, my expertise on the media side of things is all video and not audio. So I had no idea what to get, what software to use, how to put it out there. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had relationships with different sites like Ain't It Cool News and so on that, that are, are good places to post things to get them some additional um, exposure and that sort of thing. But I, I just didn't know, I just didn't know uh, how to fit those different pieces together into something that people would actually listen to and wouldn't just be my podcast that 24 people listen to. Yeah. And I don't remember how exactly I came across knowing that Back to Work existed. But I found that Back to Work existed. I started listening to it live. And around the time that Dan mentioned that they were moving to Austin, I said, well, I live in Austin. Hey, I, I sent him a a tweet or a thing in the chat room or something. And I said, Hey man, I'm, I'm in Austin. If you're looking for office space and, and that sort of thing, if you're not able to like come out in advance, I'm happy to help scout and so on and so forth. And, and you know, like I do that Dan uh, loves few things more than people offering to give him help for free. Um, and, uh, so I, I was, I was still with the draft house at the time and, um, my schedule was very much my own. And, uh, I, worked way more than I should and a lot of the time that I considered work really wasn't even so much work as me sitting in the office and noodling around on BuzzFeed or you know wasting time otherwise and I really had an itch to get back into producing stuff I've, I've got a background as a theater actor um, my uh, 
various diff- different uh, dialects of the English accent are are uh, an outgrowth of that, uh, a, a thing that I used to do a lot more than I, I did much of anything else, was perform and direct, and I did a little bit of writing. Um, and and I missed I missed just I missed making stuff, and back to work only made that worse. Uh, it only made me feel more unproductive and uh, and stagnant. And in one of the first few phone calls I had with Dan, he said, "We got to get you doing a movie show on the network." And it it went through about seven thousand different possible titles. And at one point, 5 by 5 at the movies was going to be a thing that I was doing. Uh, and then the focus of it changed. And again, as you know, a lot of things in the 5 by 5 ecosystem change a lot, have changed a lot over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and I, I settled on saying, you know, I, I'd like to be able to do a show that it can be an interview show. It can be a pundit show in a given week. Um, if I can get a particular actor or director or whoever, a game developer, um, I want to be able to do that. And I also, you know, this may sound crazy to you, but, you know, I, I would love to do a comic book show and interview comic creators and that sort of thing. He's like, I love comics. And then we bonded over Spider-Man and talked about uh, what, uh, what BS the, the clone saga was and all that other stuff. And, and we laid the groundwork for, <clears throat> for doing a show like Giant Size. And... Um, and then his thing, I, I guess I'm giving you a reduced history of, of how I came to steer the four shows that I'm doing. Um, the Comic Shack, um, you know, my, my understanding of, of, of what, was, what was going on, well, from being on it with Jim a number of times, uh, who will be back on the show at some point, by the way. When we do a Fantastic Four show, Jim is literally the first guest book. Um <clears throat> Part of the problem I was having was with the work that I was doing, the schedule that he was able to do for recording and mine just didn't match up. And so that's, that's why at a certain point I dropped off the face of the planet with it um, when he was hosting because I just couldn't do it, just couldn't do it. Um, and then when it went on hiatus and then extended hiatus, um, you know, Dan, Dan wanted the show to, if possible, be based in Austin um, and asked me if it was something that I'd be able to shoulder in addition to what I was already doing. Um, I said that it would actually maybe work, work nicely so that the, the lines don't get blurred on what giant size actually does. Um, and I could, I could focus off some stuff there. Um, <clears throat> so we, we restarted it and then I went in for sinus surgery and got phenomenally sick and it disappeared for a while, but it's now back. Uh, and uh, and I hope you'll join me on it again soon. Maybe as soon as tomorrow. Yes, I would like that. Um, and then I I've lost track of where the timelines intersect and everything. <laughs> but with Critical Path, there was uh, there was this point last fall where Dan was phenomenally busy in the interest of getting getting the network m- moving into I, I guess you would say phase three, where phase one is. Dan in Florida. Phase two is Dan is now in Austin. Phase three is uh, the you know the last few months going back to like September or something. Um, and he was out of town and unavailable, and he had a sick kid and whatever. And I filled in for him on the Critical Path and an Aco Almanac. Almost filled in for him on Amplified at one point, and that 
petrified me. Um, <laughs> even more than I'm petrified on a weekly basis doing Critical Path. Um, and uh, and after after a couple or three shows, we were getting feedback in through the feedback tool and people on Twitter. Um, you know, fair play to Dan. I, I love the show uh, in its previous incarnation as much for him being on it as Horace, but there were people saying, hey, uh, Dan didn't pay nearly as much attention to this market and that market and the media ecosystem and blah, blah, blah. Is this guy, I like this guy. I don't know who he is, uh, which I thought was hilarious. But I like uh, the cut of his jib. I like the cut of this guy's jib. Uh, I don't know who he is, even though he has two other shows on the network. Um, and uh, and so I, sa- I-, I sent Dan an email back after he sent me a couple things, and I sent him some of those tweets. And I said, I mean, would you would you be offended if I asked Horace what he would think about continuing to just do the show with me? He was like, uh, you know, knock yourself out. You know, if, if that's if, if people like it and you know they they don't hate you, then you know it's it's up to Horace. And uh, and so Horace Horace uh, Horace and I felt found our groove after a couple of shows and uh, established. Uh, a solid report. First, at first things, and if you listen to those first couple shows, I, I can hear this in his voice. I don't know if other people can. Where he's kind of like, "Shut up, kid. Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk now." Uh, and and then he kind of figured out that there there were a couple of things that I sort of know something about, and uh, and I never overreach to assume that uh, that uh, that that it's that it's even remotely my show. It's entirely his show. Um, and and I think he figured out that there were things that he'd be able to bounce off of me that Dan just you know weren't weren't his areas of interest or expertise, and so the show has evolved and changed a bit. And now, uh, and now we're technically technically speaking, we're competing with Meet the Press on Sunday mornings, and I think we're much more entertaining and lively. I agree. I mean, I, I've been enjoying the show, and I, I enjoy all of your shows. I must ask, you do. You, you've, we've covered your gamut of podcasts, so you do comics, movies, and charts. Do you, do, do you <laughs> and, have and, and TV and games and TV in, and in, games in some of combinations? Course. Actually, there's there's an indie game, either an indie game episode or an indie game segment that I'm going to slap onto a few future episodes coming up. Do you have a topic that you prefer to discuss? Or out of out of those that I'm doing now? Yeah. Like is there is there one that you get? I mean, I don't want to say what podcast do you well, love doing the, the, the most. I'll 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 non-answer answer your question this way. The reason I'm doing all those shows, which people have asked me, you know, candidly in in exasperated DMs or phone calls with uh, with guys named Merlin Man, uh, you know, why are you doing all this work? Um, <laughs> for me, at the core of all four of those shows, there's something about storytelling whether it's the story of the devices that we're using and the networks that we're using evolving and changing or the content changing and evolving the way that we're interacting with the content evolving and changing um, or, you know, in, in, in the case of comics, the way that people are coming back to something that was much more popular 20 years ago than it is today and is is at the epicenter of the biggest most blockbuster movies and now soon to be a, a uh, another tv show in marvel's agents of shield thing that's hitting abc um that's like that that's the the core theme that attracts me to doing 
any and all of those. Yeah. Um, and if anything, I almost, I almost want to do something a bit, a bit uh, completely different than that. That has nothing to do with uh, the the narrative or or story of, you know, mobile disruption or movies or games or you know, TV shows or comics or anything. So something else. Yeah, like doing doing an interview on your show because you're handsome. Oh, and British. So and on, British on your shows, you have amazing guests like that that are involved in all sorts of creation uh, behind the scenes, in front of the camera, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, guests like uh, like Mike Hurley. Guests like me, of course. Um, how much work is it to book the guests that you book? I mean, for me, I'm typically booking people that do this kind of stuff. Um, but when you're when you're looking outside those areas and you're booking like voiceover artists and directors and game creators and stuff like that, is it? Do you find it a lot of hard work to get the scheduling down? It's it's a lot of work, uh, and and as much work as people might imagine that it is, it's more than that. Um, depending on the person that I'm dealing with, you know, Guillermo del Toro is so busy that he, you know, he he can get Skype on a computer. But he's making a giant Robots and Monsters movie. And the time that I was able to get with him, I get a text from him, call me now. I've got 45 minutes. And he's in a car driving from one place over to Legendary Pictures to have a meeting about Pacific Rim. And so the audio quality is not great. But if that's how I'm able to get Guillermo del Toro, then great, I will take that. Um, Andrea Romano, voiceover director, Batman, Brave and the Bold, Batman the Animated Series, Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, interviewed her twice. Um, she had not had Skype set up on her computer there at Warner Brothers and just relished and loved the, the opportunity to do something like that. And uh, she loves to talk and has great stories to tell. And <clears throat> it, was, uh, it was a different experience for her. Um, it's people that aren't used to using Skype or using Skype with a headset, that sort of thing is the bigger technical hurdle. Uh, sometimes people will connect over the cell network on Skype on their phone, and we have to go through jumping through, through a number of hoops to you know, get them on Wi-Fi at least, if that's literally the only way that they can get Skype. Um, that, that technical hurdle side of things so that we can get reasonable audio quality that's that's as big of a hassle as say just carving out time in somebody's schedule you know you uh, another screen time guest Hoon Lee who is not only um, playing uh, Job in uh, Cinemax's Banshee live action but he's also the voice of Master Splinter on the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show coincidentally voice directed by Andrea Romano um and his schedule is such that he, you know, the, the flexibility that I have is great for him because he's like, it might be Thursday, it might be Friday, might not be able to do it till Sunday. You know, is, is that okay? And I'm like, oh, it's, of course it's okay. Just that I, that I can get your, your time, please, by all means, just, you know, let me know when I can get you. Um, but then other times it's a matter of chasing people down. Uh, sometimes, you know, I find that the comics industry is very tight-knit community and part of what has helped get some of the guests that i've gotten 
as the show has matured has been the fact that those first two episodes I had Stan Lee and I had Brian Posehn and Jerry Duggan. Uh, Jerry, who's become uh, a reasonably uh, quite good internet friend of mine um, and whose who's opinion and, and ideas I, I value greatly, uh, not just because he's, he's a big Doctor Strange nerd. Um, and Kelly Sue DeConnick. Kelly Sue DeConnick, um, that she was willing to do the show, I sent her this... I, I, I keep apologizing. Uh, I, I think I apologize for this in every email I send her now. Is you know, you remember that insanely long email I sent you at first? I'm still, I'm still so sorry about that. Um, but sometimes that's that's what it takes is doing a crazy amount of prep and showing that you've done that crazy amount of prep. Um, and then other times you just fly by the seat of your pants. Um, provided his schedule works out, and I've actually I got to call him after we're done. Um, I'm going to have Peter Weller on screen time this week and, um, with him, I don't know, I don't know if I could theoretically prep enough because in addition to having played RoboCop and Buckaroo Banzai and the lead in David Cronenberg's Naked Lunch, he's also got a PhD in art history and he's got like three brains in his head. The man's a genius and I don't, I don't know that I want to prep. You know, maybe I'll watch the episode of Fringe that he was on, the episode of House that he was on, um, because I haven't seen them recently or at all. Maybe watch a couple of the episodes of Sons of Anarchy that he was on, uh, not that he was on, that he directed, um, and and just let things roll. You know, I've, I found that some of the interviews that I've prepped an enormous amount for, I didn't need to at all, at all. Yeah. Not whatsoever. Um, and then others, boy, am I glad that I did. Um, the the interview that's going up uh, either later today or early tomorrow, depending on, on when it can get edited and out in the feed for screen time, is with uh, Jane Withers, this 87-year-old actress who was, was like Fox's backup Shirley Temple back in those days, back in the 30s and 40s. Um, and I'm glad that I, I read up on... You know her her friendship with James Dean and Gene Autry and these other guys, and you can hear it play out in the interview when I make an eighty seven year old woman cry, um, which I still feel bad about. She she was like, <laughs> oh no, these are happy tears and this is wonderful and blah 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 blah. But oh my god, um, like some some t- there there's really no way of knowing in advance, and the only thing that I can do is prep in the event that I absolutely need it. But it's not hard in the entertainment industry, and this crosses movies, TV, um, and, and comic books, not necessarily as much games. Game developers can be a bit more terse. Um, it's really not hard to get people to just talk about either themselves or stuff that they're interested in. You know? Do you have any, um, like, who, who's on the dream list? Like, who's high on the dream list? Not like Steven the- Soderbergh. Yeah. Uh, Steven Soderbergh. Um, Steven Spielberg. Um, if you tried to, if you ever tried to, to approach Eva, like how would you go about? Getting- I I have a I have a direct connection to Soderbergh through a friend who was in one of his movies, who was in uh, the Girlfriend Experience, and I'm I want to I want to I want to let behind the candelabra come out and I want to let my Soderbergh retrospective series that I'm, I'm doing an art house cowboy to finish up where I, I, I did a Soderbergh retrospective in advance of the release of contagion when I was at Badass digest. And I'm, I'm taking all of that 
which I crammed into about a week and a half of posting, and I, I watched every single movie the guys made, and his TV shows and the short films I could find, um, and and put together this complete career retrospective in a ridiculously compressed amount of time. Um, and I'm going back and redoing it with better screen grabs this time around from, from Blu-rays and in some cases more thought out stuff. Um, <clears throat> but this was, this was right around the time he first sort of kind of, but didn't announce his retirement from cinema, which may or may not actually be happening. Um, so I think, I think Soderbergh's possible. Um, more likely than Spielberg at this stage. Uh, Peter Jackson, who is busy making dragon movies, Hobbit movies, whatever you want to call them. I think of them as dragon movies because I love dragons. Um, he, uh, he told me back in December that, that he wanted to do the show and it was just a matter of, of when he would have time. Um, so that's, that's kind of a, a back burner thing. And that, that's something that I have with, with guests that, I want to book for various shows where I go out to them sometimes way in advance. And I'm like, look, if I can get, like Felicia day, I think I'm going to get her on the show sometime in the fall. Uh, but I, you know, I approach them at conventions. I approach them, you know, through sanctioned cool means and have a, a pre-built two line pitch, uh, where <clears throat> pardon me with Peter Weller. It was, in college, I studied anthropology. Uh, you know, I loved hearing what you had to say about art history and the power of myth. And Joseph Campbell in that uh, RoboCop intro and in that Star Trek Into Darkness Q and A. Uh, and and look, uh, everybody bothers you. What I would bother you with is I do this interview show where I talk to people about things that they don't typically get to talk about in interviews. I'm sure. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about Star Trek to some extent, but that's I don't want to interview you about Star Trek. I want to talk to you about the power of mythology. Um, and, you know, I can give you a link and you can check it out. My next guest on the show that's going to post up on the net is Jane Withers. And he turns to me and he says, uh, no crap, she's still alive? Wow. <laughs> and, I mean, he knew exactly who I was talking about. And I, I, I picked that because earlier he talked he talked in this Q&A about how nobody nobody appreciates old movies. You know, he, he lectured in this uh, room full of master's students and he made a reference to the Paul Newman movie HUD. He got a bunch of blank stares, and he was like, "Anybody in the room seen HUD? Not a hand went in the air. Anybody in the in here seen Paul Newman movie? Two people raised their hands, and he was he was aghast. And that's that's part of it is I I share those kinds of opinions with guys like him, and and being able to play on that is the kind of thing that gets your foot in the door and gets people going. Yeah, here, take my number down and give me a call next week. You know." Yeah. Not, not, not trying too too much harder than that. But then you know sometimes it's really just scheduling. You know I'll eventually get Axel Alonso from Marvel on Giant Size. I'll eventually get Rick Remender on Giant Size. Um, various other people. It's just a matter of when. Not if. Just when. Some of them it's an if. Some of them it's uh, you know I. Part part of the reason that I I told Dan yeah let's definitely do Giant Size was when. I called him on the road when he was like, hey, come meet me for coffee. I was like, uh, I'm interviewing Stan Lee. Call you back. <laughs> More important things to do right now. Yeah. So, and, Moises, uh, tell yeah. me, do you have a dream show that you'd like to make one day? Is there a podcast that is in somewhere in Moises' brain? I want to do a show with you sometime. Oh. I don't. Uh, wait, we're doing one right now. We're doing All one right. right now. 
cross that off the dream list. Um, yeah, no, ser- seriously, we, uh, you, you and I, you and I should scheme together. I agree. Um, the totally off the wall, completely unrelated to any of the shows show that I want to do. Uh, that Dan, I, I think Dan thinks I'm crazy every time I bring it up, and so I'm going to make him even crazier by bringing it up on his network. Um, I want to do a show about fish keeping. That is like, crazy. That's crazy. Fr- freshwater and saltwater aquariums. There yeah. are podcasts out there about this, mm-hmm. uh, but as I found with comic book podcasts, they are awful. Uh, you know, no offense to the people that make them, but these shows are awful. Um, and there, there, there's a lot of money in that hobby. There are a lot of companies that spend a lot of money on advertising. And so I think it would pay for itself, but it's a weird fit. It's like, you know, I've got the, you know, this movie TV game show and comic book show on this network that's NPR for geeks. But, you know, the, the thing that I don't have enough time in the day at the moment to do is figure out how I would package it in a way that would make sense on 5 by 5 you know there is the possibility of doing it elsewhere, but you know Dan Dan had fish tanks once upon a time. Dan Dan isn't entirely opposed to it, but gotta gotta figure it out, pre-sell some sponsors on it, and and uh, and make it something that isn't just gonna lose money, so that I can talk about protein skimmers and seahorses and clownfish and stuff. Well, I guess I am the guy who this week is bringing a show about uh, pens and paper to five by five. So, what do you want? <laughs> I've I've got I've got three fish tanks in my house and I'm about to redo the plumbing in underneath one of them with PVC, so I'm I'm about to to have another another big uh, big spike in in thinking about that thing and and actually if that show were to go forward, do you think that a good first guest uh, talking about sustainability and endangered species and ocean preservation and that kind of thing, do you think? That Jean-Michel Cousteau would attract an audience? I don't know who that is. Jacques Cousteau's son. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think we need to wrap it up at that point. I don't think we can go any further than this. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to, to, to have someone pretend like I'm worth being interviewed. You know I have a deep-seated love for you, my Cess, and uh, I'm pleased that we got to do this today. Well, you need to you need to start watching watching about a movie a day, like I do. Mm-hmm. You need to start uh, start start contacting uh, studio publicity reps out there in the UK, the UK, and uh, and and go to some advanced screenings. I would like that. I should do that. So, my Cess, please, please tell the listeners of Command Space where can they go to keep up with you. Uh, ArthouseCowboy.com is a good hub for everything that I do. Plus, it's spellable, uh, right? Which is, I mean, the, I guess the main issue you're about to explain is that you you have a, a very interesting name, um, and ArthouseCowboy.com. <laughs> People can can spell that. That's easy. Yeah, yeah. I I once considered getting a URL like there's no way you can pronounce this or something like that. <laughs> something that is, is unique and memorable. But the the cheap little uh, Office Depot business cards that I, I hand out when I absolutely have to. Actually, uh, there's my name, and then the first thing on the card is um, is a pronunciation guide. A guide? Yeah, pronunciation guide. It's the first question everybody asks. Yeah. How do you say this? Well, it's on the card. And they go, oh, that's clever. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. 
Just read the card. Just read the card. Just read the card. That's how you pronounce Cantonese Cuban. What about social networks? Uh, Twitter is, as Dan is fond of uh, of telling me, impossible to to spell. But uh, you know, if if Welsh actor Yoan Griffith uh, is is happy continuing to keep his name, I'm happy to keep mine. I'm at Moises Chu. That's M O I S C S C H I U. Um, again, uh, ArthouseCowboy.com is a good central hub for everything. One of the things that I'm doing to it later today is plugging in links to my Twitter feed, the different shows that I do, so you can you can get to just about everything uh, from the front page of that site. And also, you know, dig into uh, to a bunch of stuff. And you know, maybe maybe you think physical media should die. I I hope that I make a compelling enough argument for why. Uh, well, especially if you listen to yesterday's Back to Work, why I'm still such a big big fan of owning stuff that doesn't require Apple servers to authenticate things or anybody else's servers to authenticate things when I want to just watch something. Sounds good. Um, I am on all of the social networks. I'm iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. You can catch up with me there. Next week on Command Space, I'm going to be joined by Mr. Fraser Spears. It should be a very interesting show. Fraser, is uh, he, he does a lot in Apple in education. And he has a great show um, called the Out of School Podcast. So we'll be talking about, you know, iPads and education and something slightly different for the show. Should be fun. I'm very excited about that one. But before then, there may be a a special episode of Command Space hitting your podcatchers, or it might be somewhere else in the 5x5 ether. So you might want to to check in with me on social networks. It's it. All I will say is it may be with everybody's favorite podcaster. So you'll know. You'll know when you see it. Is this that Adventure Time thing? Probably. I don't think it'll be that, no. Okay. I, it, it's not that anyway. It, did I knows. tell you Did I tell you what might be happening on my show later this month? You haven't told me, but... Oh, God. Okay. We'll do that in a moment. But thank you, Moises. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Command Space Podcast. I am Mike Hurley. He was Moises Julian, and until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>